Hey, I'm Daryl Etherington, news editor at TechCrunch, and I'm here with the barbecue sauce to my sweet smoked baby back ribs and co-host. Jordan Crook, managing editor at TechCrunch. Happy to be barbecue sauce at any time and in any place. Barbecue sauce is kind of, it's like my default. You make the meat. Yeah. Yeah. It would be nothing without you, Jordan, just like TechCrunch. <laughs> well, I mean, it would be nothing without the ribs, right? Like, can you imagine just getting served a plate of barbecue sauce? You'd be like, I don't know hey, what to I'm, do with this. I'm good with that. I think that's great, actually. <laughs> but we're talking about meat this week on Found because we're talking about cultured meat. So cultured meat is meat that's cultivated from like a single cell, harmlessly cultivated, and then grown in the lab to create whatever cuts you want for later cooking so no harm to the animal and can be done at scale without all the environmental impacts so i take like a little filet mignon cell and then i grow Uh a full filet mignon from it that is the idea yeah and you can customize it to your heart's content Mm. after that or at least in theory you can i'm not the science expert but luckily our expert though can tell us more about it this week Clarice Berrier, and she is the CEO and co-founder of Animal Alternative Technologies, which is a name that is very self-explanatory. Luckily, for the startup names we usually get are crazy, but this one is a company focused on developing scalable alternatives to farmed meat that it will sell to other businesses. So they work with big food producers, but they also want to work all the way down to small-scale food producers, even to individual restaurants eventually, and help them create alternative meat solutions that are better for the environment and better for people. But she explains it better than I do, so go ahead and enjoy the episode. So Clarice, can you tell us a bit about yourself and also uh, about your company and and the startup you founded? Yes, sure. Kind of my story, I have a biological sciences degree from Imperial College because I always wanted to, you know, help the environment, animals, understand how you, we can use science to tackle those challenges. And then I was also leading the Effective Altruism Society at Imperial. And that's how I found out really about culture meat and the potential of the market to make some, some to make the biggest changes. And I then went to do a year in management and uh, worked for Harish Sticks, which are cultured pork pioneers. And then I really realized that there was not enough research, like academic foundational research for all the companies, like all the startups, there's so many startups, but they're all building from the same kind of smaller research base. So I wanted to help with that. And so thankfully I got supported by the New Harvest. It's a cellular agriculture. So cellular agriculture is making animal products using cell culture instead of animals. And so they're the only research institute because there isn't much government funding at the moment. So I got funded by them to do some research at the University of Cambridge in the Department of Chemical Engineering and Biotech. And that's where yeah, I ended up in the same department as my co-founder, where we had met at the Effective Altruism event, actually, in the past. Huh. So we ended up in the same department and different research groups. And I found that his research group, so they were growing brains. And I was working on culture meat at the time. And I thought <laughs> that, yeah, there, there's a need for a collaboration there if you can make hu- like living human brains. We don't have culture meat on our plates there. So yeah, during the dark times of the pandemic, when we were all a bit bored, I, we actually founded our company, Animal Alternative Technologies. So bringing my... Uh, complementary skills into because I was doing software driven uh, process development. So it was more chemical engineering. um, Yeah, software driven for culture meat and then the tissue engineering and bioelectronic analytics that were used 
in my co-founders group on the yeah it's a, a spin out really of the of their group great excellent some things you mentioned there so we hear a lot about you know meat alternatives and i think for i remember seeing you know even like five years ago or something like people talking about lab grown meat and also talking about the time it's going to take to scale it and it's uh, you know it, right now you wouldn't want to eat it or you probably can't eat it, but like in a decade or so maybe it'll get to that point but it sounds like you're saying everybody's kind of drawing from the same dish so can you give us like a little bit of background about like what the state of the, te- the art of the technology is now and like how close we are to actually being able to kind of like go to the grocery store and buy this stuff yeah so actually the first research paper was only in 2005 but the idea of cultured meat was much before then in 1930s even i think churchill mentioned that it's it would be the future to really grow the part of the animal you want to eat not the full animal you know to just waste the rest so that's how yeah the idea came about in the industry but yeah it was really leading from a small academic research base and it still is relatively small because of there's no like the government is a bit slower in the establishing the research institute the funding for that mm. but um yeah otherwise it has gone the price of the culture meat has been like the innovations have been really driven so by the companies so it's hard to really tell what's going on yeah in the inside it's not all publicly disclosed but oh, right. we know that it is looking uh yeah very promising it was the first burgers was was uh, 2015 by uh, mark post and in the hundred thousands of pounds and now we have it in uh around hundred dollars per kilogram of meat right so, right yeah that was yeah. the big limiter right it's like the price per kilo because right. it's scaling yeah. it up mm-hmm. the other thing that you mentioned that's so interesting is the government funding right because like government funding for other areas and there's a lot of government motivation for things like say emissions reduction from the automotive industry right they put a lot of incentives behind that arguably not enough but still (laughs) a lot more money but it seems like there's very little interest or drive in putting those public dollars behind this area where it could have a tremendous impact on on sustainability so what what is the deal there like why no interest from government exactly especially since the since the global greenhouse gas emissions are actually even worse for the animal agriculture industry than all the transportation sector combined so it drives 18 percent of total greenhouse gas emissions and we will not be able to meet you know the paris agreements etc for to combat climate change if there is not a change if we don't address this issue so i think they're slowly coming around uh, from really public awareness etc but otherwise there's big yeah, lobbies to continue give subsidies and all the cost of the meat is actually going to the cause of animal agriculture produced meat, I mean, is actually being uh, given to the environmental impacts and is being yeah, shifted really and not counted into the price of the product. Right. Yeah. One question for you personally. So why pursue this particular alternative versus, you know, you see a lot of stuff like around alternative protein sources like insects, right? And there's big insect farming and food production efforts underway as a more sustainable alternative. So so why lab-grown meat? What What is about that is the right answer for you to this particular challenge? Yeah, I think it's an issue of time. So it's really an emergency to tackle the environmental, social and health issues that are caused, you know, by animal farming. But I do love plant-based alternatives. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, according to my scale, I'm like driving the whole market for plant-based alternatives. <laughs> the reality is that, yeah, the animal meat industry is still growing despite of the rise in alternative proteins. And the demand for meat is actually predicted to double by 2015. Just wow. 
overtaking the supply. So we need another solution. And I feel like culture meat could be one as it doesn't ask any changes from the consumer behavior side because it's the same product, but you're just, yeah, produced in a better way. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, I mean, the idea, and there's obviously some cultures where it's very normal to eat like crickets or whatever, but like the everything I've seen about getting that to be adopted in Europe or in North America is extremely challenging to get that behavior. And, and it will take many, many years because exactly. it's so entrenched to believe like that's not something that is for consumption or for human consumption. Right. But there's, there was still a challenge for lab grown meat too. Like, you know, the, you see a lot of resistance of like people being like, I don't know if I want to do that. And is it going to be weird or icky or how do you get over those things? Is it just the proof is in the pudding? Like, eat the meat there has eat. been some <laughs> consumer studies like before the final product is out and actually looks quite promising especially in the countries where the demand is growing so much you know like in asia it's really china etc there's actually really good acceptance we've seen from preliminary studies of cultured meat because they know that it can be safer they know the issues you know with the foodborne illnesses yeah. with meats with the worst of yeah the diseases as we've seen all these things so yeah it seems promising and it feels like because it's the same product down to the molecular level, people do not have to really switch their taste buds or. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Jordan can attest to this, but I'm a pretty, I guess, I guess I would be a heavy meat eater in definition in terms of how frequently I eat. Like I'm big fan of outdoor cooking. I have many <laughs> outdoor cooking apparatus. Like if you wanted to picture Daryl in his free time in your mind, it should be, he likes to say, on his haunches in front of a fire pit. <laughs> kind of like just throwing whole, whole heads of garlic right. and onions in there with some meat. And I do really love cooking vegetables as well. But I also have an affinity for like, you know, taking a big side of beef and then like throwing it on a smoker for like... 18 hours or something right so exactly there's a whole culture whole there's a culture behind it yeah yes yeah exactly but this is so that's why like i would be the audience of address right because it's like definitely yes yeah i don't have to change anything about that right. yeah yeah but i mean you so your background like let's talk a bit more about how you came to be because uh, you've you worked for some companies before but why did you choose to like found your own business as opposed to just working for one of the other companies, the myriad companies that are working on this already? Uh, for the other startups, yeah. So basically I found that everyone was either vertically integrated, so it means like doing everything from scratch. And it because I mentioned it's such a small research base, everyone is kind of repeating <laughs> the same work and is it like the most productive way? So no one is actually focused on, on the big problem that's preventing us from having culture meat on our plates, you know, in a cost competitive way to animal-based products. Mm -hmm. So that is the actual by-process development at scale up. And this is where our actually experience and technologies allow us to focus just on this area. And also the B2B ecosystem has developed now for culture meat. So you can find the raw materials that have been yeah, specially developed. Mm. So with our platform, it helps us to integrate really the best in class and focus on actually scaling it up. Would you be working with kind of existing consumer-facing brand companies, right? The direct-to-consumer or the B2C yes. company? So on yeah. both sides. So we don't want right. to be B2C and like uh, also selling the meat directly and setting up our own factories. We want to give the full system. So we call the Renaissance Farm, a scalable end-to-end -end culture meat manufacturing system to any food producers for them to be able to enter the industry. Because mm. we found that right now, you know, there are very high barriers to entry into this industry. Yeah. And yeah. this 
could be a big problem like in the future also for customer acceptance etc if there's only you know a few companies <laughs> supplying all the meats for the rest of the world so we want to open up the industry so they don't have to do you know the five years of deep tech r&d which food producers are not <laughs> used to do it that's not their skill that's our skill so we can do all this development of the culture meat system for them but then we give it to them so they can do what they do best which is manufacturing actually you know the downstream processing of the meats and distributing sales etc so we're focusing on that on that end yeah would that make like a maple leaf foods or someone like that like a potential exactly. we actually talked to maple leaf foods like oh. <laughs> two days ago <laughs> <laughs> oh good okay um yeah because imagine like they don't want to like wake up one day and then all of a sudden yeah. the processed meat thing has run away with their business right because they don't really care exactly. in the end they just want yeah. the profits and the the reach right yeah they, they see themselves like the most advanced one they really see themselves as protein companies and they want to meet the demand and they know that there's an issue with their supply so they have to think technology they have to think creatively outside the cow yeah right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can use that that's free <laughs> i like jordan's <laughs> you can't see jordan's face but she's very not impressed with my uh, <laughs> meat based puns <laughs> the pun is the ultimate sign of genius i also i just wanted to thank you daryl because you know we on this podcast we tend to have all these overachievers and Clarice, you fit right in, to be honest. You, <laughs> yeah, no I feel great every Friday. I feel so good talking to smarties <laughs> like you. But you know, the social phenomenon of like downward comparison or whatever, where you're like, oh, like, like basically shattered fright, right? You're like, oh, I want to go see, like, they're doing worse than me. So I'm, I feel good about myself. We do the opposite on the show where me and Jordan have someone super smart on who makes us feel deeply ashamed <laughs> at our life's progress to date and achievements. Yeah. And like, I'm not Clarice, motivated. Like, it, it, it even gets to the point, I think, with you, with you found guests. Where I just I'm less productive. I'm not inspired. Like I, <laughs> I can never do it. Sure, it has to go take the rest of the day I off do. to contemplate. <laughs> I go to therapy. <laughs> You have such an amazing podcast. <laughs> and all okay, your writing don't and everything. We know, we're not fishing for no, this isn't, this isn't that actually, kind of thing. No, but I'm actually so lucky that this is the area I'm actually also interested in. Like, this is where I can apply my interest, like the science and technology, because if it was like English or something, I would not be in this space. English, they always say that people that have the most prowess in our society are the, the English majors. They make yeah, the that's most right, money. the true leaders. Yeah. But Clarice, was this your area of interest from like a very young age? Like, were you always sort of like geared towards science, technology and, and biology or how yes, about that? Yes, but originally I didn't know about culture meat and also mm. I thought that I could be more, so always, yeah, about science. I was never a literature genius, but I thought that I could be more on the yeah environmental conservation. So I did some life cycle assessments in some companies, like more um, trying to help with yeah, environment, uh, species extinction. So in this side, I was thinking that where I could be but then I found, yeah, when I found about alternative protein and using the market forces to drive change much faster as we need to, I was, I was sold. <laughs> yeah. The market forces part is a real key ingredient, right? Because it mm -hmm. seems like you can't, it's, I mean, what about consumer forces, right? Like it seems like if you, one approach seems to have been try to get 
consumer advocates to get behind the tech, the technologies, especially for sustainability technologies, yeah. and then they will force the market. But it seems like that's not really a good motivator. Or again, like maybe it's back to our discussion of changing human behavior. Like it's actually tricky to do. As well as investors. <laughs> so oh, I would right. say on that side as well. Yeah, because no one wants to, you know, fund conservation studies and things like that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But when you yeah. have a big technology that is like disrupting such a $2 trillion massive global meat industry, yeah. then Silicon Valley gets in the game and then you, you actually see change. Yeah, when you get into a meeting and you're they're like, who are your potential customers? And you say a maple leaf farms or something like that. Right. And their eyes perk up and they're like, wait a minute, who? Like, that's good. They have pockets. They have money. <laughs> yeah, the, the meat industry is, is, is large and powerful. And there are so many players as well, like local food producers, not only global giants like, yeah. like Tyson. So, and they all, yeah, very interested in. Yeah. But what, what do you see about the role of like, companies that are doing like the beyond meat and that type of thing like is that complementary is it eventually competitive or how do you kind of view it in the grand scheme yeah actually really don't view it as competitive because i think it's really great you know for flexitarians all these people that are driving the change and it's amazing i i I love it myself yes but it's just the alternative for others you know who don't want to change the, the i don't know i'm thinking a little bit of my dad or some people as the money yeah, or me they <laughs> 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 don't want to to change the thing you know plant-based foods are for the hippies or something and they they want their same meats and they want this like prestige and all these things associated with real meat for animals <laughs> not like yeah it's a deeply thing. seated as you're saying i'm realizing it's a deeply seated psychological problem like i think, I think they're really complement each other and yeah. just to arrive at the same goal of you know helping mitigate climate change etc we need them both we need as many solutions as we can you know? yeah yeah but there is a chance then like do you think that overall the arc is towards because in some ways you would think that the lab-grown protein alternatives are like a stopgap because ultimately mm. that that flexitarian model or the, the one who yeah. is less selective about that will probably supersede the sort of Cro-Magnon cavemen like myself or <laughs> if we have time yes <laughs> we <laughs> if we have time so have that's that. the key ingredient right <laughs> yeah the, right yeah it's the yeah. urgency of this uh i don't think that yeah vegans are going to take over in like <laughs> in the yeah. next decade so when you're talking to your customers like and to investors i guess how do you convey the time urgency and then like i mean it must help in terms of this is the time when we can be profitable and start making revenue. Like, what do you tell them about that uh, part of the business? Yeah, it's more about not the urgency in terms, you know, of the environmental impacts, etc., for our clients, but mostly about when we're going to have the cost, you know, competitive to animal farming. We're actually going to be kind of disrupting for their original animal-based uh, businesses. So they really want to know about this, like this timeline, so they're not left out. They can invest in early and bit part of the change like do you have discussions with them around strategic investment or because yeah. at one point what aren't they saying like we're massive like why wouldn't we just we once if we study what you can do mm. we can either spin up our own group or we can go acquire another one out of another institution or university or we can buy you like how often does that kind of come up in these discussions it does come up to some of um, like the biggest <laughs> giants that like why do you need to have different you know uh food production partners, we call them, or clients. You can just have us and we distribute globally. But we really want to increase our penetration in the market, like having different local, you know, local food production, we think is very important from like local jobs, you know, food companies that are already very established in smaller areas. Like there's, for example, Novo Foods in Thailand. Hmm. So 
yeah, we, we try to get deal with them that we can have, you know, differentiation in their products so they can have the rights to one type of cut. And this will be the, like the Tyson cut, uh. right? Like a structured meat product exclusively for Tyson because we have the advantage of being able to you know, vary the fat percentage to very optimize whatever they want. Even the local variants, like if we want to have Angus beef or Wagyu beef, they can have this for themselves. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. That must be like, they must be super attracted by the customizability, right? Because right. you can also do feedback loops of, we can see what your customers are responding to and we can increase those very minutely as opposed to, well, let's yeah. like take the Herefordshire breed or whatever and then like over generations evolve it to exactly. be more of this kind, right? Yeah. This is the potential with culture meat is that you can even make types of meat you never thought about, products that we never ate uh, because now we really are limited in type of species, you know, there's, it, it yeah. just comes about because of the, as you were saying, you know, the artificial selection over many years that we've chosen this meat, but do they taste the best? No. Are they yeah. really the, the nicest? Whereas culture meat, we can choose whichever species and whichever, yeah, composition, even like improving the fat profile. So to be make it a bit healthier, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's very customizable. That's, this is, now I'm really getting excited about this because what I want, and all this is a request, so just can you come up with a beef a beef pig hybrid? <laughs> That's like... Where's the money? Well, well, <laughs> we can I, do everything I'm not the here. money guy. I'm just okay. the idea guy, and then someone okay. else comes with the money. You better get her some money, But I think girl. a lot of people... That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> See, but you're, you, you think it sounds good. I bet... Bring this into the rooms it with investors good, and be like, you know that perfect. Too. Like to be clear. Well, I don't want it to it's exist like a as an animal. Where you're like, well, I'm not <laughs> as an animal. It would be awesome. I actually think that would be totally fine. As a meat, oh boy. Though, it's but like, you know what? You know, a little overboard. Jordan, you know you're a meat eater. <laughs> the perfect burger mix is a blend of like beef and Pork. like a pig ground it's kind beef. Kind of like right? an like, Italian yeah, meatball, right? Where you have like some beef, the fat and content, you have some sauce and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I'm hungry. If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're going to offer you 50% off either a one-year or a two-year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found, the name of this podcast, during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. Away from kind of the product and the technology, what about, what's your experience been as a founder and building a, a company, you know, and running a company day to day? Like, how have you found that so far? I know it's been, what, about a year or yes, a, a bit year. more than a year? Yeah, yeah. So how's that first year been for you? So, yeah, thankfully I got the inspiration really early on. Like, I really admire um, who I was working with at the previous Culture Movie startup, so Higher Stakes. She's the CEO of Higher Stakes, and I was following her around doing everything. And she's just, yeah, she's just so amazing. She really inspired me to be able to do it, even though she's also very young. And, yeah, <laughs> I really yeah got admiration from her to build her team, so I was helping there. So, and then when I founded the company, 
I wasn't sure actually that it was, I was just, it was kind of on the side, you know, like just in yeah. case I'm just funding it, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't really actively raising or anything like that. I was actually going to go into a PhD, <laughs> but then uh, we got contacted by Big Eye Ventures, which are the alternative protein accelerator. Yeah. Uh, like they're focused on just uh, supporting alternative protein and they were mission driven and amazing. And they, yeah, they scattered us and they, they found us and through their accelerator, which was like very intensive, like almost like a mini MBA for five months. All that's right. how I learned so much about like building the company, knowing all the connections. So they had, you know, limited partners from these big firms like Tyson, Buller, et cetera. So it was so, so valuable for us to have all these discussions to know what product they would like, how we can get there. All, also the ecosystem. So the B2B ecosystem supporting the cellular agriculture industry because they, they were also funded by Big Eddie Ventures. So it's so, super nice to have their support. And that's how I learned, yeah, <laughs> most of it. And now we just graduated a few months back. We had our demo day, yeah. Also the connections with the Singapore government because we were in the Singapore cohort. Oh, and wow, so, okay. Yeah, so we could have, you know, the regulation side of things as well. So we had contacts there to help us have, you know, a ready-made plug-and-play system for our clients. I mean, that sounds like a really intense five months, like a lot crammed into <laughs> yeah. five months, right? Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> really <laughs> but yeah, it also sounds great. Like you come out ready-made with partnership uh, relationships, with customer relationships and with regulation. Regulation is something I yeah. hadn't even thought about, but it must be a really... <laughs> tricky sort of third axis to navigate right it really depends on the countries some of them are more <laughs> progressive than others let's say mm -hmm. like uh, i come from france and france is not at there yet oh right but hopefully hopefully they realize that yeah it's not only companies competing it should be governments competing in this it's a big yeah. big industry yeah yeah, but yeah, France, that's a good point, because they would probably take, I would imagine, a very conservative, traditional yeah. approach to food industry specifically, right? Like they have protected domains all over for everything, cheese, wine, you know, meat, whatever. So it, how do you, you just go to other more progressive ones as the kind of the low hanging fruit and then hope that kind of like... Yeah convinces others to come along is that the, yeah. the model yeah. it's okay as well because our clients are mostly also coming from asia etc <laughs> so all this market if we have singapore is like perfect launch pad and then the u.s and then we think that yeah others the eu we have to go through the eu novel foods regulations so the yeah. eu will hopefully follow soon <laughs> and i've spoken about this not specific to uh the food and drug uh, industry well a little bit to the food and drug industry but more to like space like what was really beneficial for a lot of the u.s companies in the space startup industry was that essentially china and a lot of other asian companies started being a lot more progressive a lot more innovative and a lot more fleet-footed and then you know the u.s regulators were looking at that and going oh well we better take our cue from them or else we'll fall behind. Are, are you finding the same thing is kind of happening in the cultured meat space? Yeah, definitely. There's a big jump. <laughs> it feels like um, kind of uh, someone was mentioning like in Africa when they had just some countries are just like landlines and they move directly to, you know, mobile phones. And now they are more progressive than yeah, right. others. I feel like there's the same job happening in Asia because they've realized there's so much uh, demand and there's so many issues like, you know, antibiotic resistance with their traditional animal systems. They have to do like multi-story factory farms now and slaughterhouses. Oh my God. There's no enough land. There's not, there's the water pollution issue. Uh, yeah. They, they are really experiencing it now even. So that's why they're, yeah, taking the steps ahead yeah and addressing those issues they're, they're very progressive culture meat can be seen a bit like the clean you know energies are going from coal to more sustainable sources of energy yeah. and they have also 
taking the lead like they're trying yep. on that side as well so so my grandfather was a beef farmer so you know i've had firsthand experience seeing kind of like and he's a family farmer so it's not like a factory farm right but even that and if i imagine that kind of like expanded and then stacked it's like so horrifying to even think of right so yeah, I can see why yeah. they're moving quickly. It's the growing middle class that's like driving really the need, and that's where it's that's where it is in yeah. all these places. Do you use sovereignty as a lever? You're like, you know what, it's sovereign food source. Like you no longer have to be reliable. That must be especially effective yeah. right now for countries that import. So, yeah, exactly. Right now with the supply chain issues, for countries that import so much of the food, you know, like you eat Singapore, they're all very <laughs> enthusiastic of being able to produce their own food. Oh man, this is. It's a rocket ship. It's going to take off. You've convinced me. So this must be how your investor meetings go. Or how do those go? Did you, is that a learning curve for you? Or did you kind of like naturally already kind of like we're good at that? Because we already, like we're mostly talking to people from big adventures, like the LPs, etc. We don't talk to people, you know, like from scratch that have never heard of culture meat. They're all really already invested through us, like in the industry in general. Like Tyson has made many investments in culture meat companies already. So, yeah, they don't have this <laughs> learning curve in the beginning. We go straight to the, yeah, the technologies and uh, how we can be there faster and cheaper and have even structured meats that no one else is doing right now. Nice. But do you anticipate, I mean, eventually you'll probably go to outside funders or yeah. you're thinking that way already, but yeah, it could be, but it's, it's more like, as you were saying, like strategic investors, we also really appreciate that we can, you know, work with our clients into developing the best product for them. Nice. Yeah. And what about the size of the company? How, I you know you mentioned your, your co-founder Yash, I believe, Yash. right? But yes. what is the size of the company now? And like, do you have growth plans or? Yes, we have growth plans. Uh, but so now we're eight and we're going to hire one more soon coming on. So. And how was that process? How was finding and hiring people? Was that also kind of like facilitated through the accelerator or your partners or? No, not, not through the accelerators because they're in Singapore. So maybe if we were in Singapore, it would have been. But now in Cambridge, thankfully, Cambridge is not of a lack of talent, at least like specialized talent, you know, for tissue engineering, bioprocess development. Right. So it has been amazing, actually. Even from our research groups, we kind of have a pipeline of um, innovations already. And uh, yeah, through our connections, we have a shared lab facility though in Cambridge. And nice. even through, through them, they're... There's so, so many like postdoc, very talented people that are also very driven and share the same mission to, you know, replace factory farms with Renaissance farms. And yeah, so, yeah. yeah we've been lucky for now. But um, as we're expanding more, we think for the pilot, because now we're raising for our pilot scale prototype of our Renaissance farm. Mm -hmm. And so we think, yeah, maybe we'll have to move to our own labs. And then when we hire a lot more people, it might be an issue in Cambridge because people don't really come to Cambridge. We've only hired people that were already <laughs> staying in Cambridge. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, what are the other centers, like the kind of centers of excellence for this globally? Are there are there notable ones? Yes. <laughs> Silicon yeah. Valley is notable, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, Singapore now has a lot. And we have through Big Adventure some lab space, kitchen facilities, etc. there. So, yeah, we could also uh, move to Singapore. <laughs> Great. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I've heard good things. I've never been myself. Jordan, is that on your list? Is, has, have you been to Singapore? I haven't. And it is on my list. I only have like I've, my list for traveling to Asia is pretty short. Like I, I want to do like Japan and I want to do Singapore and I want to do yes. Thailand and I want to do Vietnam. I've been to South mm. Korea. I, I kind of would be into Hong Kong as well. Thank you for mm. wrangling me into the conversation. In some way. I appreciate it. 
<laughs> I just wanted to hear your travelogue. I mean, I think those are probably all key markets for Clarice too. I mean, Japan is another one that's probably huge yeah, because yeah. so little landmass relative to food production required. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I actually lived lived in Japan and Singapore. <laughs> Where did you live in Japan, Clarice? In Kyoto. I love it. <laughs> oh, nice. You mentioned Wagyu, I think, and yes. Kobe is obviously the the mm. you know like the protected designation. Is that something that you run into any, have you, I don't know if you're at that stage yet, but the, like the farmers who have these designations and like the practices around it, we talked a bit about it with France, but like, is there a lot of resistance there? Is that resistance significant or is it kind of something that you can sidestep? Yeah. Or, that's yeah. the thing that I don't, we don't want to leave anyone behind, you know, in the race to reinvent meat. So that's why we want to open up the industry in this way and provide the technology to any food producers. And that means at different scales as well. So yeah, it can be at the largest scales to replace the largest factory farms, which is our first goal, just to have, you know, the most impact. Yeah. But then we want to provide our system to even smaller farmers, smaller producers, even to the scale of like a restaurant uh, side or organic production. We can do this through the differentiation as well. So restaurants could have their own line like, oh, yeah. well, you get the Harvey's burger. Do you guys have Harvey's? I don't know. That might <laughs> no, be a Canadian thing. <laughs> Well, let's say Burger King, but you could have the Burger King burger and it's exclusively like the mate mix is literally exclusive to Burger King, Yeah, right. but even smaller, right? I mean, an individual restaurant producer. Yeah. That's really Hopefully cool. Hopefully in the future, it can be cost competitive and all to have a smaller scale, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what our farms offer. One more question I have for you, just kind of out of your history. I I'm curious about this, the effective altruism group at Cambridge. So can you tell us a little bit more about like what that means and what the, the kind of goal is there? Yeah. Have you heard about effective altruism before? Is it? No. The, as a so term? A, no. I mean, I can okay. kind of yeah, reason yeah, yeah. out what it would mean, <laughs> no, but no. yeah. Okay. So I, I was actually um, at Imperial, but I'm also <laughs> helping uh, lead the society in Cambridge, but it's a, mm. it's a wider group. It's not only university societies. It's really spin out of academic yeah, research to address the, the question how we can use our resources or our time, you know, our money to help others the most. And so it's also about, of course, following through with action and yeah, using evidence and analysis to identify like the best cause areas. So, I mm. mean, like best could be what, of course, what you're interested in, et cetera, but also like most neglected and potential with largest impact. And of course, uh, animal farming is one of those areas where there's so much, uh, there's 60 billion animals that are killed annually, just land animals that are killed annually. So it's a massive welfare issue and yeah. all the other issues, of yeah. environmental, uh, public health, et cetera. So it's one of those areas and that's why effective altruism like helps people like with careers with uh with the fun like uh, raising money so actually they fund the good food institute which is the biggest uh, alternative protein charity cool okay yeah that i mean that makes sense because it's the way that people normally come to kind of like community service or public service or whatever is like well i'm kind of interested in this like you said, animal welfare for like pets right for instance mm, people do yeah, a lot of like exactly adoption stuff and you're like okay i mean that's a good impulse but is it really the place where the thing is needed most right so exactly. it sounds like yeah, yeah this is about orienting it correctly aligning it with like yeah, yeah with how much impact you can have like in terms of how many lives you can save 
yeah, compared to giving to a shelter, compared to giving to GFI or Good Food Institute or other organizations. Yeah. That's cool. That's very cool. Listeners should go get involved. I'm going to go look it up because I don't do anything positive with my time right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, sure. like support community of really people that are trying to help in your careers. There's so many mentors. So yeah, really amazing resources there. That's great. All right. All right. Well, thanks very much, Clarice. It's been a pleasure talking to you and learning all about cultured meat and also about how you're going to change the world and how me and Jordan are just going to sit by and watch. <laughs> you're going to be my lead marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If we should take it, I'm sure I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> All right, Jordan. So that was our chat with Chris. Are you sold on meat alternatives? Are you going to be a consumer of them once they are available at your local delicatessen or grocery store? Well, I think one of the things I like about this is that it's like actual it's meat. It's the same thing, right? My puppy's also very excited about that. <laughs> So that that's cool. And like I'm I probably am more of a flexitarian. Like whenever I go to places with like sofritas, for example, although I guess that's not like impossible or beyond or anything, but like I, I I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? Like I I'm cool with the meat substitutes, but I just every once in a while, or maybe more often than every once in a while, I want like actual meat, you know? Yeah. So I feel like this is pretty exciting. And yes, I, pl I plan to be a consumer of this. Yeah. Well, I think what was great about the impact that this has is the environmental impact. Like I, I, the ethical argument does weigh me and it is I'd feel guilt about all the meat I eat, even though I eat a lot of meat. But the environmental impacts are tremendous. And I think what was so interesting talking to Clarice is like, it's weird that it's just kind of ignored by governments who are putting all kinds of public funding into avoiding the environmental costs of other technologies, but for some reason, not this one. And I suspect it's because people would revolt or something, right? Like, it's like, this is not an area that's popular with the voter, whereas even like EVs, like, yeah, people like their gas cars, but EVs are kind of fun. So it's an easier area to kind of like show public investment in. we talked about the like psychological piece of all of this which i think is like hard to combat and i i was interested to hear how clarice kind of was thinking about it a little bit and i would be interested to hear from her like a year from now and how she's thought about it because it's not it's one of those businesses where despite how you know powerful and beneficial and efficient your technology is the message is so critical and important and it's it's beneficial i guess for her to be going b2b right because she has to get those across to like a certain number of big clients and then work her way to smaller clients and be more localized and all that stuff but at the end of the day like we all have to have our own individual come to jesus moment about how we consume food and meat in particular and that can be touchy and tricky and there's a lot of thought that needs to go into that messaging you know yeah but I think her thing is like a, interesting to approach it from doing an end around. So like if you show up one day and the Tyson wrapped chicken that's in the freezer happens to be cultured meat as opposed to like a harvested live chicken, then you, they've kind of taken the decision out of your hands, right? Which may be the way to do it. You know, as long as you don't notice, because it is so hard to convince individual. I'm a living, breathing example. Like, I know that logically all these things are wrong about it, but I also am just like, listen, I love me, my meats. I love them. But it's weird that we ended up at a place where I was hungry, but that's how it goes. So me thanks. too. I'm starving. <laughs> Let's <true>. go eat. <laughs> 
Found hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Ashad Kulkarni and edited by Grace Mendenhall, and Maggie Stamets is our associate producer. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Our guest this week was Clarice Berrier, co-founder at Animal Alternative Technologies. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com. And you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>